All right, folks, good evening. Um, in just a second, I'm going to introduce Joseph Davis, who's going to be teaching tonight on James 3. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about Joseph. Joseph is, has been a member of Crosspoint for a while now, and one of the visions and hopes and dreams and aspirations that we have as a church is to be a place where young men are encouraged and mentored and trained up in ministry. And Joseph is one of those young men that we're kind of coming alongside and, and really fanning into flame what we think are some obvious gifts in him. And um, so he's been hanging out with us um, in the leadership team and has been teaching a Sunday morning class on uh, Lloyd-Jones' Lloyd classic book, Spiritual Depression, and been doing a great job. And so I asked him to take one of the chapters from James during this whole block. So he's going to speak on James 3. So in just a second, he'll come up after I pray. But on that note, I want us to pray for Robert and Sigourney Ward. Um, yesterday, uh, right before our staff meeting, Robert got a call from you know Sarah Joy's their baby uh, daughter, who's was born in November, late November, I believe it was. So she's about March, about four or five months old, and you know she's had some breathing problems and had a, a lengthy hospital stay before Christmas. And uh, they've been going back and forth to Atlanta. And yesterday, the doctor called and wanted them to come straight away up to Atlanta. And so she's at Children's Hospital of Atlanta. And they're you know, doing lots of tests. They're very concerned about her breathing. And it may even potentially involve some surgery and like a potentially a trach trach tracheotomy, um, which is pretty extensive. And so needless to say, Robert and Sigourney are pretty stressed. And it could be, you know, they could be looking at a lengthy hospital stay of several weeks. And so uh, I asked Robert if we could pray for him tonight, and he was more than willing. He said, yes, please do pray for little Sarah Joy. So um, remember them, and if, you, you know, if you're close to Robert and Sigourney and want to reach out to them or text them or email them, I'm sure that would be a real encouragement to them. And, and you guys know Rob and Amy Ward. That's Robert's parents. And then uh, Robert's brother, David, and his wife, Valerie, are also members of the church. So... If you know any of those folks, I'm sure it would be a great encouragement to them. So let's pray for little Sarah Joy. And then Joseph is going to come and break open James 3 for us. Father, thank you that we can gather as your people in the middle of a busy week. And we thank you for your grace to us, for mercies that are new every day, for waking us up, for giving us life and breath and being. And it's in Christ that we live and move. We, we confess that. We're completely dependent on you. Hebrews says that you hold the world and the universe together by the word of your power. And so we come to you thanking you in humility, thanking you for the gospel, for the son that bore your wrath, for the spirit that raised him and dwells in your people. Father, we come to you asking for your grace to Robert and Sigourney, who we love so dearly, and little Sarah Joy. We pray for grace to her as she's in the hospital in Atlanta. We pray for wisdom for the doctors. I know today was just a, like a shuttle of different doctors coming in, lots of information to process. I pray that you'd give them good rest tonight, and we pray for wisdom for the physicians. We thank you for the common grace of modern medicine and we pray that you might use that if it be your will to bring health and strength and healing to Sarah Joy or should you decide to circumvent that and just by your grace heal her and by your sovereign power Lord we pray that would be the case but whatever Lord do your work and we know none of this has surprised you so we pray for your grace even in this you have purposes and we pray for encouragement for Robert and Sigourney Pray that they would know that their church family in Columbus is lifting them up in prayer. And Father, we turn our attention now to your word. We thank you for uh, Joseph Davis and the, the excellent mind that you've given him. We thank you for your word. And now we pray that you would instruct us by your spirit through your word as our brother, as our brother leads us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joseph, come on. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, can everyone hear me okay right now? Adam, how, sound good? Okay, well, welcome to Midweek Fellowship. I'm super excited to be here. Um, if you've been coming to Midweek Fellowship, you know we are going through the book of James chapter by chapter. Uh, it's been super encouraging for me. Um, James was many things in the early church, certainly a leader. Um, but, but one thing we need to keep in mind, especially for this week, is James is a pastor. Um, he has a deep pastoral love and concern 
uh, for these early believers who are struggling with so many things. Um, if you were here week one, James 1, we talked a lot about hearing and doing. Um, you, you hear that again and again. You know, you can't just be a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer of the word. Uh, and we're going to revisit this a lot in this chapter. It's the idea that we have this vertical relationship with God um, that we want to keep healthy. And what James keeps on bringing up is that in itself has to produce a horizontal relationship with other people around us. You can't just have an isolated relationship with God that's healthy if it doesn't work itself out in the relationship with the people around you. Um, and that's, uh, James talks a lot about that in uh, chapter one. He also talks a lot about how we treat the poor, about perseverance in the faith. We see, again, James's pastoral heart come out as he's telling these early Christians who are going through so much pain and so much trial, so many trials, to persevere, to, to strain for the crown of glory that's waiting for them. Uh, and then in chapter 2, Robert talked a lot about this kind of conundrum between faith and works. We know, uh, based on script, Scripture, that we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. That's a gift of grace. It's not something we conjure up in our, by ourselves. But James wants us to know that a real authentic faith is going to accompany good works. And those good works are a way for us to find confidence in the fact that our faith is God-given and authentic. So we're not saved by our works, as we kept on saying a couple weeks ago, but works have to be there to authenticate the faith that we really have. Um, James is very, he just doesn't play a lot of games, you know, he just kind of calls it like it is. He says, listen, if you say you love God, but you don't love the poor, then are you sure you love God? If you say that you have this amazing relationship with God, and it doesn't work itself out in the way you love other people, you need to revisit the authenticity of your relationship with God. Um, so it's, it, it can be a hard word, but it's a good word for us to hear. And then last week, or two weeks ago, because we were on spring break, two weeks ago, Logan came and talked a lot about Martin Luther and how he struggled with the book of James because of how much it pushes towards the authentic necessity for works. Um, it was a really great lecture. Like, I love Martin Luther. I love his life story. In fact, if you have a smartphone and want to use this time just listening to that lecture, you can go in the lobby right now and do that and nobody will judge you. Um, if you're caught just playing Candy Crush, you're going to be escorted back in pretty quickly. Um, so that's the deal. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about chapter three. Uh, this chapter is all about how we, speak to, <clears throat> how we speak to each other and how our words um, are part of those, that authentic faith that Christ builds up in people who really know him by grace. Uh, it's a real part of our relationship with God. And, you know, growing up, I would look at James chapter 3, uh, which is all about the tongue. It's about how we speak as believers. And I would pretty much take the whole thing and just say, this just pretty much means don't gossip, right? You know, you just kind of gloss over it and you're like, okay, this just means you don't talk bad about people and you kind of keep on going. Um, and that's really easy to do, but I think in doing that, we're going to miss a lot of just kind of a treasure trove of what's there. Just some really amazing things I haven't even noticed before. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and just open us in prayer, and then we're going to start on the text itself. Uh, so, Father, uh, we come to you today asking for you just to open up your word and help us to reflect on what you're really speaking to us. How we know that we are so often hypocritical, and we're not authentic, and we let uh, the words from our mouth uh, just come from ambition or hypocrisy or just our own flesh in a million different ways, I pray that your spirit would come and help us to speak words of life, to speak the words that would build up your kingdom, even during this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, so before we get started on chapter three, uh, I want to put two precautions out there before we begin. Um, I want to throw two things at us just so we keep them in mind as we go through the chapter. The first is this. If we're not careful, we can think that James is going to sound just like a really angry pastor. 
I'm like a really angry father telling his children everything they do wrong. And I don't think we're supposed to read the text that way. But if you read it straight through, you know, by the middle of it, it's easy to think, ah, is he just going to keep on talking about this? You know, we hear you. Why do you keep repeating yourself? Why are you so angry? Um, And I, I don't think we should read it that way. I think we have to read James as a pastor who loves his people. He's a guy who gives tough love because he loves his people. So when he talks about our words and how we speak to each other, and whether it's grace-filled from Christ or whether it's just our own flesh, um, we need to keep in mind that he wants his people to love each other and to love Jesus. And he's not, he's not angry. He, he wants to give us a hard but truthful word that will encourage our relationship with God and will encourage our relationship with each other. Number two, James uses a lot of analogies. Um, There are nine of them in 18 verses. So for the math majors in here, that's one analogy every two verses. And if you're like me and you're just a little bit ADD, it's just going to be like images all over the place. It'll be hard to keep up with, right? Um, He uses a horse bridle, a ship, a forest fire, the animal kingdom, poison, a spring of water, fig trees, a grapevine, and a salt pond. Just thank you, James. This is going to be really exciting. Um, So don't get discouraged as we go through all these analogies. Let's take the time to think through them and what he's actually trying to tell tell us through that. Uh, If you've noticed, like kind of in the, the Roman world, these are all common things that people know about and see all the time. You know, we don't often, uh, you know, Maybe some of us do, but grapevines, um, poison, you know, these are things we don't think of a whole lot, but in that world, this is stuff that he can relate to them to kind of get his message across. So it's easy to get lost in the imagery, uh, and this happens throughout the whole chapter, but let's take time and just kind of work through it. Uh, Let's not get discouraged. Let's work through the chapter. Let's see the message he's trying to give us. Um, And let's talk for a second about the context of James 3. Um, why does he all of a sudden start talking to us about the importance of what we're saying? Why does he talk about taming the tongue in chapter 3? Is it just random? Is he like, hey, I just got to get something off my chest. Let's talk about this for a while. You know, maybe someone said something to him and he's like, I'm just going to talk about this for a whole chapter. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think it actually fits very naturally into where chapter 3 is for a few different reasons. Um, First, in chapter 1, what did we talk about over and over again? We talked about hearing and doing. You can't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. If you're just a hearer, your faith doesn't really amount to anything. If you're just hearing things all the time and it doesn't have a real presence in your life, it may not mean you have a healthy relationship with God. Um, Let's turn, and we'll go ahead and just pick a a verse here. Uh, Turn to verse 9 in chapter 3. James makes the comment, Verse 9, and he's talking about the tongue. He says, with it, that, that being the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So do you, do you see the relationship? If we say we have a good vertical relationship with God, it has to work itself out among how we treat other people, especially in the church. If we have a tongue that praises God, and yet we're constantly talking poorly about the people around us, that's a problem. So this is a very James, Jamesian theme that keeps on coming up. Um, so it, it does fit very naturally behind what James has already talked about. You can't say uh, that you're going to praise God and then curse the people around you. Um, James's heart is that we have a faith that can't be separated from our actions. Um, it must produce fruit. And we're self-deceived if we think we have a love for God and not other people. Um, It'll be especially a love for people who aren't like us. Remember how James talks about the poor in chapter 1. You can't say that you love God if you don't don't have a heart for the poor. Um, So keep that in mind. This whole chapter, think about our vertical relationship with God and how that fleshes itself out in the way we speak to each other. Um, Also, if you briefly look at chapter 4, and we think, okay, why does James talk about how we use our tongues in chapter 3? 
The first verse of chapter 4, if you flip there, is what causes quarrels and fights among you. That's the first verse. So I think we can reasonably assume that in this early church context, there was a lot of infighting and arguing. And therefore, James wants to talk about the destructive nature of how we use our words, but also he gives us an encouragement in the chapter about how God can change our hearts at the same time. Does that make sense? So that's why I think uh, James 3 is kind of positioned where it is. And kind of on the, the part about the early church, a lot of people always talk about, man, I wish we could go back to how it was in the early church. You know, when every, everything was just perfect, when all the believers were just perfect. And uh, I hope we know that that's not the case, that uh, the early church uh, was full of wonderful people who were doing wonderful things for the Lord, and yet there was just all kinds of sin in the early church as well. Um, so we can be encouraged, the same audience that's hearing this, and hopefully being encouraged is the same one, as the same message we can hear now, and, and it speak to us as well. Um, so before I get into the verse, any, any questions about like the intro or, or what we're talking about or, or just the book of James before we start in verse 1? All right, we're jumping in. All right, we're going. Um, let's start in verse 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read the first four verses, and we're going to work through it. Uh, so James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So verse number one, not many of you should become teachers. <laughs> um, thanks for James chapter three, Brad. I can see why you wanted me to take on this one. Um, just a little bit awkward, right? Not many of you should become teachers. Let's go. Um, so let me read that again. I'm going to try to get to what I think he's talking about here, but I just thought it was funny. You know, it's the very first verse. Um, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So what is he talking about here? Um, there are a couple different ways to kind of go about this passage. The way I was brought up and her growing up was this is talking about being a teaching elder in a church and teaching correct doctrine. I think that's how it's normally used. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Um, it, you know, we could say that maybe James is saying that, hey, those who aspire to be teaching pastors are going to be judged with more strictness. And I think that's true. Um, I, I think there's every reason in the world for that to be true. But I was going over Calvin's commentary, and he points out some really interesting things for us. Um, first, you know, the context of the passage isn't really about be false teaching. Like, it's not really about doctrine or false teaching in the church, right? Like, what's the context that James is talking in? It's hypocrisy. And I've had never noticed that before, but that's really the context of chapter 1 and 2 is being a, you know, hearing the word but not doing anything about it. So when we start James 3 and we're talking about why many of you shouldn't become teachers, the, I think it is relevant to say that good doctrine is required of a teaching pastor. Uh, but I think maybe more of his heart is to say that if you are speaking God's word, uh, you have to guard against hypocrisy. And those are two different things. Um, if false teaching is, hey, I'm teaching something and it's incorrect, right? Um, hypocrisy is, I'm teaching something that I don't really believe and I'm not living it out. And that kind of falls more into the heart of what James is talking about. Now, I do believe 
that if you have bad doctrine as a teacher, you are going to be judged more strictly. I'm not denying that. I just think that a lot of this passage can be applied more so to hypocrisy. People who want to be preachers of the word, and yet they don't really believe or live out anything that they're saying. So that's just something to keep in mind. Number two, uh, John Calvin also points out that he's not necessarily sure that this should only be restricted to just a teaching elder or pastor in the church. Uh, the word teaching here can also be translated master. And uh, Calvin kind of says, you know, a lot of people in the early church and around this time period, uh, it, was, it was very ambitious and seen as a very high calling just to be kind of a wise person that people went to for advice. This was kind of a Greco-Roman world where people, you know, uh, grew up in a culture with people like Aristotle and Socrates, and everyone kind of thought it was just a really high calling to have a lot of wisdom that you could bestow on the people around you. And in the early church, we know that there were people, whether they were pastors or not pastors, who liked to gather people around them and just kind of bestow their wisdom to them. They liked to kind of gather their own little followers within the church, and they liked to prop themselves up and just kind of bestow, hey, this is the wisdom that I can dispense to, to all of these people. Um, and that was, that was a lot of, uh, that was very much a part of the culture there. Um, and so Calvin kind of says, you know, this could apply to anyone in this church setting who feels like they are just a central place where people can get spiritual or moral uh, direction. Um, so I, in one sense, I think this especially applies to pastors and elders, but I don't think we should just exempt ourselves from what James is about to tell us. I think this is uh, something we should apply to our own hearts as well. Um, anyone who seeks to, you know, even being a good friend to someone, even be, being someone who speaks into someone else's life, this is something we need to hear. Um, so this passage is relevant to all of this to one degree or another. And I love what John Calvin says. He says a couple of things that are really great. A lot of us hear Calvin and we're thinking, oh, he was like this really rigid uh, Reformation guy that just wasn't very nice. But so often when I read him, he has these very warm quotes about the church. Um, he says, too many teachers are often motivated by hypocrisy and ambition and without a deep care for the souls of their people. So many pastors are motivated by hypocrisy and ambition with, without a deep care for the souls of their people. Um, has that really changed much today? Uh, I, I would argue that it hasn't. And he also says this, he says, this truth ought to be carefully observed that they who are too rigid toward their brethren meaning pastors who are too uh, angry and preach the word in a way that's too overbearing and judgmental, can provoke themselves against the severity of God. Um, Calvin and I think James are showing us that a pastor is someone who is meek and humble and realize that in so many ways they are just as messed up as the rest of us but they have a great and firm grasp on the grace of God, and they're able to bestow that on their people. Um, and that's, that's something that I think James applies to himself, and we're going to see that in a second. Uh, if you are in any position of influence, and even in your circle of friends, uh, or if you know, you're in a position of influence teaching Sunday school or something else, uh, humility, a gentle love for God that is born out of the gospel is something that's required. Otherwise, we're going to violate what James talks about here and, and just want to become a person of influence or wisdom just to prop ourselves up. And that's exactly the opposite of what James wants. Um, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, uh, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Um, and I think it's the same principle. If you want to be a person uh, who is, is able to encourage and teach other people, you need to be a person who's been humbled by the gospel. And we're going to talk more about that. Uh, verse 2, uh, James says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his old body. I'll tell you what I appreciate about this verse. Uh, the we all in that line. Do you read it? 
It says, for we all stumble in many ways. I think James is including himself in that. You know, we look up to him as this amazing uh, you know, pastor in the early church, leader, just central figure. And he's just saying, listen, uh, many of you want to become a teachers, but look, we all stumble. We're all always going to be on the verge of stumbling. And that's even more reason why we need to be humble. We all stumble in many ways. And if someone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. But we know there's only been one perfect man and we're not them. Um, So again, if you want to be someone uh, of spiritual influence, James is saying, listen, you're not going to be perfect and that should alert you to your need for humility. Let's go on to... uh, Verse 3, it says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Um, So he gives us two analogies to start off with, for talking about the tongue, the nature of what we say to each other. As people who are constantly speaking to each other in some form or another, he's going to start us off with two analogies, and don't worry, we have like a lot more to go. Uh, But the first one is a horse that has to have a bit put in its mouth, and the second is a ship. And what do these have in common? What they have in common is he's talking about two different spheres, two different things where something small controls something very large. A horse is a very large animal, a very powerful animal, and we put a bit in its mouth to kind of control it. And it's kind of silly when you think about it. You know, horses could throw us off their backs if they wanted to. You know, we have to tame them. We have to discipline them. And it's, it's crazy to think that this small bit that goes in their mouth is actually what it takes to, to finally get them under control. You know, you take a wild horse, you have to control it, you have to break it, and you finally put a bit in its mouth. And that bit is incredibly strong. It's not strong physically, it's strong in the sense that it works. It controls a horse if you're on a horse. Uh, so also a ship, a rudder is this very small instrument on a ship, but if you turn to the left instead of the right, you could like shipwreck into an island somewhere. Um, So James is trying to alert our sensibilities to the power of the tongue, the power of what we say to each other, and why we have to do it in a gospel-centered, humble way. So does everyone see that the relevance of both analogies there? Um, That's what James wants people, especially people who want influence in the church to start thinking about. Do you really want this responsibility? James is not saying that we should never give spiritual direction, or that we should never want to be in places where we can encourage other people with the word. He is saying that our hearts and our motives are far more complex and prideful and sinful than we could ever think. And this should produce a caution and a humility and a looking to ourselves and placing ourselves before God and realizing that that we desperately need him. The Bible doesn't teach that we are inherently good. If you come to Crosspoint, you realize that. The Bible doesn't teach that we are born nice people who just make mistakes every once in a while. Um, the Bible teaches that we are at the core selfish and idolatrous, and outside of God's grace in Jesus Christ, we, don't, we can't fix that about ourselves. It's like we have a cancer, and we ourselves cannot be the physician that cures our own cancer. You can't fix yourself is the, the message of the gospel. Um, but before we get to the gospel, we have to dwell on that first part. We all have mixed motives. We all have uh, pride in our hearts. We all uh, are just not singularly loving God the way we should. And that should produce a caution and a humility. By default, we are not prone to love God. And therefore, we need his grace in our lives every day. Um, And he's going to get further, like the analogies are going to get more severe before they get better. Let's put it that way. Um, 
But I'm going to stop there and ask for questions again. Uh, questions about either of these analogies or anything I just said. Anything at all? All right, let's keep on going. Um, so we've gotten through two analogies. James is showing us that something small, like our tongues, the way we speak, has a major influence on uh, how we love other people around us. But even our tongues, it, it, even what we say at the heart of it is about our hearts, and it's about the pride inherent in each of our hearts. Uh, so we're going to move on to verses 5, sorry, 6 through 12, and I'm going to read those for us. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pine yield fresh water. So we're going to work through these bit by bit. We're not going to just tackle them all at once. Uh, verse 5, he uses a new analogy. We've already done ships and horses. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Um, man, if he didn't get us with the first two analogies, now we're paying attention. Uh, does anyone remember the recent forest fire that hit North Georgia? Uh, what, what was the city that was mostly impacted? It was, what was it? Gatlinburg, yeah, that's right. Burned down an incredible area of land, a huge vacation spot, but also where people live in Gatlinburg. Does anyone know how it started? It was like just two kids playing around, set the whole thing on fire. Um, I'm glad I'm not one of them. <laughs> uh, but he, he starts by, by using the analogy, again, of a forest fire. It's something small, like our tongues, and it, uh, it can lead to this destructive force. And we've seen that in churches. We've seen that in communities and our families. And if, if you're like me, at this point, you may be thinking, James, aren't you taking this a little too far? You know, haven't we gotten the point uh, by this time? You know, do you really have to keep on saying this? And, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking of just how what we say to each other can have just massive results. And I actually just made a list, really thinking about myself, my own shortcomings, of how the things I say have destructive uh, tendencies in them. And I'm not reading this list as a way to beat everyone over the head. And I'm not going to send you home saying, okay, follow this list or don't follow this list and you'll be okay. We're eventually going to get to how this just shows us all the more we need God's grace to be first and foremost in our hearts. But I was thinking, okay, so how, do we, how are we like forest fires? Like how are we like arsonists that burn down everything around us? Some of you are like, yep, that's me. Like I can tell you right now, I'm a forest fire. And some of us are like, well, we're really not that bad. Um, some of us are like, maybe I gossip every once in a while, or maybe I'm pretty introverted, so this doesn't really apply to me. So uh, made a, a short list here of different ways this can happen. Um, you know, you can be, you can fall into this category when you speak untruthfully to other people. Uh, it can be just using partial truths that aren't fully honest. It can be speaking pridefully to prop yourself up so that people think more of you. Uh, it can be false humility where you want people to think more of you. Uh, it can be speaking angry and careless words to hurt another person. Uh, it can be speaking with false sincerity, pretending like you care about another person when you really don't. Uh, speaking with self-centeredness and not really interested in what others have to say. Speaking judgmentally into the lives of other people without evaluating if you yourself aren't guilty of the exact same thing. It can be speaking over sarcastically in a way that isn't encouraging anyone besides me. Um, 
Speaking in a way that is not considerate or building up the people you're around. Speaking defensively without ever apologizing or seeing yourself in the wrong. Uh, Do you only speak to people when you deem them important enough to talk to? Are you showing partiality with the people you're speaking with? So I hope that we've all identified ourselves in there somewhere. But just in case maybe you're the introvert that's thinking, well, I don't speak much at all, so I'm okay. Um, It can also be sins of omission, what we're not saying. It can be failing to be a source of encouragement and truth when it's needed. It can be failing to remind people of God's promises and the gospel. Be failing to see, even in a small way, opportunities to build other people up. You'd be failing to speak on behalf of the defenseless and the poor. And that's very relevant to James 1. You'd be failing to repent to others when, when needed. And if that's not hard enough for us, we live in an age of email and texting and social media where we have all kinds of opportunities to burn up everything around us with what we're saying. Um, so hopefully you found yourself at this point exactly like me, and you begin to see that you're kind of an arsonist, whether you realize it or not. You're kind of prone to burn things, uh, burn people, I guess, around you uh, throughout the day. I know I am. And so when we talk about a forest fire, I think James uh, can speak truthfully about that. Um, It's amazing the destructive power of our sin that comes through our hearts. We don't realize how bad it is because we never really think about it. Or we often think that we're a lot better than we really are. We always think of, you know, ah, this was such a great sermon. I wish the Joneses were here to hear it. You know, we don't automatically apply the the, the rules of Scripture to our own hearts. And if that list wasn't enough for you, uh, crack open the Puritans because they cover like everything. I mean, I, you know, it's scary. Uh, their commentary on don't, you know, the, the command, the Ten Commandments not to lie. That, you could read that for like three hours. Uh, they've thought through every possible way you can violate that. Um, so, as, as we're reading James, yes, we are going to get to grace in Jesus Christ. But let's allow ourselves to feel the weight of this for a second. Like the weight of who we are apart from God's grace. And I think if we do that, we'll be more susceptible to see our need for God's goodness, for His Holy Spirit to change us. Um, let's, let's read verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, if the forest fire analogy wasn't enough, now he's saying, look, your, your tongues are like poison. You're poisoning. You know, you're, you're, you're saying things day in, day out um, that have an element of poison in them that can affect the people around you. And if you don't see it, that just means you're probably not cognizant of it. Um, he also says like the animal kingdom, he lists that. You know, it's amazing that humans have filled up the entire earth and we've learned how to tame things like horses or elephants, but we can't tame ourselves. It's, it's underlying this depravity in each and every one of us that we don't like to acknowledge, but it's there. And if you don't see it in yourself, um, maybe honestly ask the people around you where you could, where, where you could improve. And if, if they're a really, really, really good friend, they may be honest with you. Um, if you're scared to hear it, then don't ask them. If you really want to hear it, you can ask them and you'll get some answers. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I mean, does that even need commentary? I mean, we know we do that. We, I, probably, I simultaneously do it at church a lot of times. Um, that, is, that just shows the crookedness of our own hearts. Uh, verse 6, verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so he's saying, wait a second. Um, If we are God's people, if we are people filled with the Spirit, that should not characterize our lives. Now hear me. I've already talked a lot about how our sin nature is always coming out in different ways, 
But I don't want to leave us there because if we really know Jesus, that's not going to be the dominant metaphor for our lives. It doesn't have to be. God doesn't leave us in that place where we're arsonists burning up everything around us. But apart from God's grace, that's exactly what we're going to be. Um, So, verses 13 through 18 uh, help us out a lot, uh, just kind of thinking through this. But I wanted to just to, to mention something first in terms, of, uh, in terms of just being a church, in terms of just how we speak as a church. I think a lot of times we think of our own spirituality in terms of it's just about us and God. And James and the rest of the Bible talk a lot about how as a church community especially, we are an organism. What there's no, private holiness, there's no private holiness that one of us has. It's something that affects all of us. Think of it this way. Your quiet time with the Lord does, isn't just about you. It may be about someone else that needs to be encouraged that day. It may be about someone else that you are supposed to build up and love. Um, so it's, it's, hard, it's easy for us just to apply this to our own hearts and think, you know, wow, we just, you know, this, this is just about us and about our own holiness. But this is about, especially if you're part of this church, it's about a grace that we need, a humble nature that we need uh, so we can build up the people around us, not just about us. Uh, your relationship with God matters enormously for me. Like your own walk with the Lord matters for my good. And, th- that's, and that's just something we need to remember when we talk about this. Um, So if you've gotten to verse 13 and you're still paying attention, you may be thinking, this has been rough, right? This has been been a hard several verses. Where do we go from here? Well, I'm going to read the rest of the verses and I'm going to give us uh, some real hope, I think. Uh, It says, starting verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. Let me stop there for a second. He starts by saying, who is wise and understanding among you? And it kind of brings us back to what we started talking about, this need to be thought of as wise and influential in in your community. You know, he's kind of hearkening back to that. We started by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And now he's saying, You know, let me tell you what real wisdom, what real spiritual authority looks like, what real healthy Christ-centered authority looks like. So it is related. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But, he's talking about a second kind of wisdom, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. So he kind of concludes this chapter by talking about two types of wisdom. One characterizes all the negative attributes I talked about earlier. It's selfish ambition. It's bitter jealousy. It's people, and this is an interesting phrase. Look at this. People who are false to the truth. Y'all see that? People who are false to the truth. And then he talks about another kind of wisdom that is pure, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. So my question is this. What is this good wisdom that we need so that we won't be, like I said before, these arsenic forest fire starting people that just damage everyone around us? What is that wisdom he's referring to? Well, I think there's some hints in the text, right? Uh, In verse... Let's see, in verse 14, he uses the phrase, he says, if, you're, if you have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, it'll cause you to be false to the truth. 
What does that mean? Well, he's somehow saying that whatever the truth is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look humble and meek and lowly. It's not going to look ambitious and prideful. So what is this truth? We know it creates humility. What else does it do? Well, it produces, look at the, the bottom, verse 17, gentleness and peace, and it makes us open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. That's interesting, good fruits. Where have we heard that before? It sounds like Paul, right? Good fruit, talking about gentleness, talking about uh, peace. It's kind of the fruit of the Spirit, except it's not Paul talking about it. It's James talking about the exact same thing, interestingly enough. So we know that whatever this heavenly wisdom that we need, uh, we know that it creates humility in us. It produces fruit in our lives. Uh, what else does it do? Um, interestingly enough, look at the last verse, verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. Isn't it interesting that that's the exact opposite of being someone who starts fires? Like, James just said that in our natural depraved selves, we're just starting fires all over the place. And, but if we have this heavenly wisdom that he talks about here, this truth, it actually makes us the opposite. It makes us people who sow, sow righteousness like farmers. What can be so powerful is to make someone who's like a forest fire starter, an arsonist, to, to make them into someone who's like a farmer who's planting crops everywhere. What is so powerful that it's a wisdom that produces humility? What's so powerful that it, it produces fruit? Just like Paul talked about as the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I think, you know, we know that the, the only message that can do that for us, that can change us into people who are humble and people who are gracious and people who build other people up is the message of the gospel. It's the only thing that can change our depraved hearts and make us people like Jesus. Jesus came and died for us and rose again, and he transforms our hearts so that we don't have to be uh, people who are tearing other people down with our words all the time. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can be people who actually speak God's words to our friends and neighbors and the people around us, where we speak encouraging words, we build other people up, where we have the power to just not think about ourselves all the time, but have the power to build other people up all the time. And what, what are these people going to look like that have God's spirit because they understand the gospel? They're going to be gentle people. They're going to be peaceable people. They're going to be full of mercy and good fruit. These people are not people who have conquered themselves. If you're thinking, I just need to leave this room, and tomorrow I'm going to watch everything that I say so I don't screw up, that's not the message. This is people who, these are people who have been conquered by something outside of themselves. These are people who have been conquered by the message of the gospel that Jesus saves sinners, and that produces a humility that changes their hearts. And it's kind of like you're like a farmer at that point. You're just like sowing God's grace, God's mercy, God's wisdom in the lives of people around you. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the final thought I want to leave us with is, as if you're a Christian, if you know God, if he's changed your heart, um, you know, we, we don't have that much time this side of heaven. Like, I felt like last year I was like 23. I'm somehow 32 right now. I don't know how that happened. Um, so as people who have God's spirit, let's not waste our words with trivialities. Let's not uh, just let time go by without speaking words of significance and importance that treasure Christ and that build other people up. Uh, God has given us his Holy Spirit that changes from the inside out to be his representatives and ambassadors on here, here on earth to build up the church and to build up the people around us. Um, and so that's, I think we made it through in one piece, but does anyone have any questions about anything in the passage at all. I know it's a tough passage. Like, it, it stumped me in different places, and it can be confusing. But wanted to see if there were any questions at all. I'm going to give you, like, a minute, because I know there's got to be at least, like, one question somewhere.
Joseph, Joseph, yeah. can I just make an observation? Sure. That was fantastic. Um, that was really, really good. And I was really encouraged and chastened by something you said. I wrote it down. You said about the corporate application of our tongues and our relationships with the Lord. I mean, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to jump up and scream hallelujah, but it would probably not have been a appropriate application of my tongue at the moment, but you said your relationship with God matters enormously for me. And brother, I, the, 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 those, are, those are super wise and helpful words that I just think we, we can't say that enough. Yeah, so. you know, I, I think, uh, no, I appreciate you saying that. I think a lot of us have grown up in a kind of like a quiet time culture, which I think is a good thing. But the, the focus was always like personal holiness, right? The focus was always how are we being made more like Jesus? But I think a more healthy way of viewing it is how, you know, how can we be, how are we being built up for the sake of the people around us? Like, you know, like, how, you know, my relationship with God is going to say something about how I interact with Nate today. You know, it just is. Um, and that, that may be an additional encouragement for us when we, when we feel like we, you know, like, like it's just all about us sometimes. I think that may help. But thank you yeah, for that observation. All right, going once, going twice, and we're finished. All right. Think we're done? Anyone? All right, we're finished. <laughs> um, I'm just going to close this in prayer, and I think we're good to go. And if you have any questions uh, afterwards, um, I will, uh, I'll do my best to answer them. If I don't know the answer, I'll come up with something as best as I can. Uh, Father, uh, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for uh, James chapter 3. Lord, I know it's, I know it's hard to hear. Uh, it's tough love. It's, it's, it goes against our nature because the week is already hard and we know in our souls that we're already not the people we need to be. But instead of just being discouraged, I pray that this would give us hope that Jesus works through people like us. He breathes his spirit into people like us and makes us ambassadors for his kingdom. He changes our hearts. You change our hearts and you give us the fruit of the spirit and you build up your church. So I pray that rather than being discouraged, we would remember that it's your power working in us. And I pray that we would be a fruitful church that builds one another up with a, with a sincere and good faith and not one that's ambitious or hypocritical. And we thank you that that's who Jesus was, that Jesus didn't see equality with you something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the form of a servant and showed us what real spiritual leadership looks like. It looks like serving you in humility and grace. Thank you that you're the perfect example, and I pray that you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.